Father, we just thank you. We just thank you. We just thank you. We just thank you, Lord. We were always a voice in the wilderness. And Father, the voice is still there, even if the Facebook or the YouTube clarity is in there. I pray your children will hear clearly. All of us will hear clearly, Father. And I pray your word will go forth. We just surrender everything into thy hands, O Lord. The ministry of your word, because it's your word that brings life. So we commit this time, we surrender this time into thy hands, and we pray, Lord, all of us who hear, will hear you speak to us what you have for us in these last days, O Lord. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. So once again, as we go to the, go to the word, please remember what God, Jesus warned us about times like this. If there are no birth pangs, there will be no birth. And if you want the kingdom, we must be prepared to go through before the kingdom is manifested in our midst. So, like I keep saying every day during these 15 days, God is speaking to us loud and clear in times like this. He's preparing us. He's preparing us for the end. Yesterday and this morning, yesterday we were looking at Joseph, three verses from, four verses from the book of Genesis about Joseph. And morning you heard about, from Pastor Vijay, about Simeon and Levi, how to deal with anger, because these are the issues of the flesh. <clears throat> but let's continue further. If you turn with me to Revelation 3 and verse 21, even to the most lukewarm church, okay, the most lukewarm, the kind of church we would, wouldn't, like, we wouldn't even want to preach. But even to that church, a church to which Jesus has nothing good to say, even to that church, Jesus says, to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Okay? So even to that church, the exhortation is this, overcome. And if you overcome and come, I see your state now, but that does not mean you cannot change course and finish well. If you overcome as I overcame, you can sit with me on my throne. That's where the writer of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 11, after listing so many people in that, like 16, 17, names are given, and the rest of them are all like innumerable company, a cloud of, <clears throat> if you take a cloud, and you take count the droplets in that cloud, it would be like uncountable. So he's talking about a list, a huge number of people, who overcame in different areas of life in faith. So different areas are given. Okay? And then he comes to Hebrews 12 and verse 1 and 2 onwards. 1 and 2 exhorts us. Okay? Exhorts us. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight 
and sin which so easily ensnares, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Okay? And tells us, look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at right hand on the throne of God. Okay, so there is something that is being told to us over there. We have to endure. We can finish this race. We can overcome. We can get our rewards. And what are the things we have to endure? In verse 3 says, sinful men. Verse 3 will say, yeah. Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself. He faced hostility from sinners every day. Lest you become weary and discouraged in your soul. You have to endure. You will get weary. You will get discouraged. Because what you are going to face, when you realize what is the nature of this race, you will face incredible hostility from sinners at every level of people. Like we are looking at the three, three levels of this thing, no? So if you, if you finish the race as a father, like Moses, you will face hostility from everybody. Forget the people in the world. He faced hostility from Pharaoh and his entire hordes. Then he faced from the outer courts, the congregation of Israel. He faced hostility from the leadership, including his elder brother and sister. You would expect them. You would expect Aaron to stand with him, right? No, even not even Aaron who saw it all. And Aaron knew. Aaron was one man who knew that he was just speaking as a mouthpiece for Aaron, uh, for Moses. Moses is the one who God is speaking to. But he faced hostility. So God says in this race, he is not what he call whitewashing anything. He is saying, remember, you have to endure till the end. Because the kind of hostility you will face is from people. You will face hostility for your, from, and so don't get weary, don't get discouraged, finish. And then in verse 4 he says, you will also have to fight this battle against sin. Forget sinners. Yes, sinners and sin too. Because that is the stage that will be set for the greatest set of overcomers who will come from the last days. Because sin will permeate the very air like Noah's. Every thought, inclination will be sin. And sinners will abound and abound because the love of many will grow cold. Sinners will abound. Sin will abound. And in the midst of it, you should not grow weary and discouraged because of sinners. And you should be willing to shed blood, even point of death, willing to die in your battle against sin. Okay? So do not discount the cost. That's why Jesus says you have to sit down and count the cost. It is a battle worth fighting for. Because the rewards are incredible. But look at Jesus. The hostility he faced from the sinners. And he is willing to shed blood. In the garden of Gethsemane. What is sin for a believer? Whatever is not of faith is sin. And what is faith? It comes from hearing. His father has told him this is the road. And he is fighting it with all his strength. Father, not my will, but your will be done. And you will see in his fight against sin. Faith is telling him, go to the cross. Flesh is telling him, take the easy way out and he's shedding blood. So he says this is what he expects from each one of the overcomers. Okay, so do not ever take it lightly because yes, there is an incredible reward, unbelievable reward promised, reign with Jesus, but it comes at a very, very high price. So if you go to Romans chapter 8 and verse 16 and 17 again, 
There again you will say, yes, the Spirit will lead us. That is the voice of the Spirit will lead us. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. How? He leads us. As many as are led by the Spirit are the children of God. But if children, then heirs. And heirs of God join heirs with Christ. What he told in Revelation 3.21, join heirs with Christ. He said, you will reign with me if indeed we suffer with him. And he said, you have to be suffer with him, the sufferings of Jesus Christ, not the suffering for sin, what he did, but the sufferings of Jesus Christ. And Paul understands it and he says, I want, but he says, in me, I do not have the strength. So I want to first share in the resurrection power and then share in his sufferings. Okay, so he says, so don't ever expect a crown if you're not willing to go through the sufferings of Christ Jesus. So always what we say, factor it in, right? We always factored it in. So it was good. God saw before us, Sammy. So we had the radio always there and the radio needs very little speed and very little. And this is an area where even 4G, it looks like 2G. But the radio is working. So radio is clear. Even if you can't watch on YouTube or on Facebook, even if the link goes, remember, God willing, the radio will continue. Otherwise, I will shout, so stand on your rooftops. The radio also goes, okay? So you will see suffering, you have to factor suffering in. Okay? There is no what is called um, C-section. It's not C-section, where the anesthetist comes and gives you a poke on your spinal cord and then your baby is born and they give the baby. No, there is no C-section in this birth pangs and this birth of the kingdom when it comes. No C-section. You will have to endure that pain. The hostile, there is absolutely only normal delivery allowed. No other delivery allowed. You will have to go through that pain. Okay, so all the brothers... Who escape labor pains. Okay, all the brothers who escape the labor pain. This is one labor pain you will not escape. Brothers and sisters will go through this. Okay. Suffering, be prepared for that. If you go to again to Romans chapter 5 verse 1 onwards. Okay. We have peace with God. We know having been justified the beginning of salvation. We have justified and, uh, okay, please look at the GTC uh, WhatsApp, no? Brune is asking for the, no? Yeah, audio link. Okay, so having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then every day, this is it. Verse 2 is important, very important, verse 2. We have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Having done everything you stand, you can only stand by the grace of God. That is the power of God, armed with the power of God. Faith into this grace. And then we look into the future. What do we have? We have the hope of Glory. And where does this hope of glory come from? How do you have this hope which is real? Not only that, we also glory in what? Before the the hope of glory, which you are talking about the crown reigning with Christ Jesus, you have to learn now to glory in tribulations. Okay, that glory is different, this glory is different. But this glory, when you glory in tribulation, right, glory in tribulation, Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. Okay. Endure. Perseverance, endurance, patience are all similar words. Everywhere you will see this word perseverance or endurance coming. Glory in tribulations. Why does it say glory in tribulations? Because if you don't glory in tribulations, you will not endure. Because this tribulation will continue for a long time. So consider it as glory. 
These are all mind, states of mind. These are things how you have to take it, take it, take it, take it. Okay? That's how you have to take it. You have to remember, Jesus also had the joy that was set before him. Okay? Glory. Okay? There is. And perseverance, character. What is it? character? The character of Jesus Christ. Being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And that is what gives us hope. Christ in us, the hope of our glory. So, Please remember, this is continuous. Perseverance, that word perseverance, endurance is very, very important. You have to do it over and over and over and over again. If you go to Matthew chapter 12 and verse 13, and James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4, everywhere, Jesus, the apostles, the Holy Spirit is speaking the same thing, Matthew 24, 13. Not 12, 24, 13. Matthew 24, 12 into 2. Pastor Vijay is mathematician, no? 24, 13. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. You have to end. Your suffering will increase. Hostility will increase. Sinners will increase. Sin will increase. But you have to endure till the end. And if you endure till the end, your hope of glory will be real. You shall be saved. In James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4, scripture, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, testings, tribulation, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. So you have three words being used over their different translation. Endurance, perseverance, patience. They are all kind of similar, though they are not exactly the same. Let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. What is it talking about? The character of Christ Jesus. Okay, so everywhere, everywhere. So practice, practice, practice. You hear a word in the morning. Okay, this is how I handle anger. You try, you fail. Don't give up. Practice, practice, practice. If you go to 1 John chapter 3 and verse 7, the word that is used over there, 3, 7, yeah. He who practices righteousness. Okay, it is not righteousness. No, one time. It's practicing. Over and over and over and over. What does it mean? Practices righteousness. What does it actually mean? Which can I have it? Yeah. He who let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous. Let me explain to you with people in Indians will understand it very well. Okay. You know all our greats in cricket. That's um, my favorite was, of course, Sachin. Okay? And if you know about their stories, they practice and they practice and they practice and they practice for hours and hours. Every day they practice. The guy used to swing that ball on his balcony, practicing, then go to the field and practice. What are they practicing? Every type of ball they will practice over and over and over again. We don't see that. What we see him is coming down into the stadium with 100,000 people screaming their guts out. And he doesn't hear them, he doesn't see them. And then comes the best bowlers in the world. And they throw that ball, bowl that, and he just hits it. And we say, what a great shot. You know why that shot came? Because of practicing hours and hours and hours and hours of practice in the midst of incredible tension. 100,000 people watching and that Brett, what is it? What? Brett Lee's 100 miles per hour shot. He just flicks it over. We say, what a great shot. You know what? He was practicing over and over and over until it is part of his character. With his eyes closed, he can hit that shot. And that is what Daniel is doing in 
Babylon. He has practiced and practiced and practiced. So it's set before him. It's very easy to make that decision under tremendous power. All the sons of Judah, other princes, everybody, Babylonians all around. He's under incredible pressure. It's very easy for him to take that decision because he has been practicing this for years until it's a part of who he is. That's what the Bible is talking about. Children, don't let no one deceive you. This is not a one-time job or a two-time job. You do it and do it and do it until the character of Christ is formed in you. In any situation, you practice it. You practice it. That's, that is how you have to read it. I was in the, in the island of Patamas on the Lord's Day. I was in the spirit. Why? Because worship is part of his character now. Where you are, what situation you are in, irrelevant. Paul and Silas singing in the midnight hour after their backs broken. Why? Because that is who they are. And that's what God is talking about. Because things will get worse and worse and worse. Why does God increase the temperature, allow the temperature to be increased? Because he knows a set of overcomers will arise. And that's the ultimate objective of the redemption. Okay? So please, we need to know. We need to know these things because the church has always gone through tribulation or persecution in its 2000 year history. And they were always, if you know, leaders who were opposed to Christ in every dispensation. Hostile, very hostile. So that's why one John, John will say there have been many antichrists who have gone. But the antichrist of antichrist is going to come. Compared to all the ones who were there, this fellow, you cannot compare, not even Nero can be compared to the guy who is coming. Okay? Not only that, though the church has gone through tremendous tribulation, unbelievable tribulation during its entire history, what is coming, Matthew 24 and verse 21, Jesus himself says, no? This is what he says. Then there will be great tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor ever shall be. That should put fear of God in our hearts. This is not anybody saying, this is Jesus saying. Person who has seen the end from the beginning. He is saying, there is a kind of tribulation that is coming that has never been or never will be. So if God in his sovereignty and free will chose us to be born in a time like that, he also believes we can come through that. Okay, so everything you need to realize, God did not choose us to be born in the old covenant age. Thank God. He did not choose us to be born in any of these 2,000 years. And if we are coming into that time, because I believe, because what is happening now worldwide is like a harbinger of what is coming. Okay? And it will be initiated by one man, the Antichrist. In Revelation 13 and verse 2. Revelation 13, 2, Bible will tell, The beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet was like the feet of a bear and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. Okay? He was like a leopard, meaning he's swift. And his feet was like the feet of a leopard. The bear, you know, it can tear apart with its paws. Okay? And his mouth was like the mouth of a lion. Rips you apart. Okay? The dragon gave him his power, his throne and great authority. Satan will actually transfer. His power, his throne, 
and give him great authorities. For the first time, the devil will live through a man. Okay, and all that, that means this is the epitome of wickedness. Epitome. Okay, a man has been found, 666, the perfect man has been found where the devil can inhabit in him perfectly. Okay, please understand that. Paul will say, uh, sorry, Jesus will say in Luke 21 and verse 35, It will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the earth. So, Jesus will warn, be careful. It will come as a snare. But Paul will say in First Thessalonians, in chapter 5 and verse 4, But you brethren are not in darkness, so this day should not overtake you as a thief. Okay, so he says, people who are caught in darkness, it will come as a snare. But if you are walking in the light, you won't be surprised. You should not be surprised. Okay, so you have to look at all these eventualities the Bible is actually talking about. So, in verse, if you go back to Luke 21 and verse 34 to 36, the warnings are given very clearly. We are going back and again and again because people are taking it very, very lightly. Okay? Uh, uh, just an aside, I got a text saying that the, um, the ticket is closed. That means the act could be working. Okay? Okay. <coughs> so, we will continue in the meantime. Okay, Pastor Vijay? <coughs> I need you. Hmm? So, we go to verse 34. Take heed to yourself, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness and cares of this life. Stay there, okay? That the day come upon you unexpectedly. He said, be very, very careful. Don't get caught in the trap of pleasure and pressure. Don't get, don't get drunk. Meaning, what is drunkenness? When you have lost your sobriety. That is what drunkenness is. He says, pleasure can take your drunkenness off. Living for, pressure also can take your mind off. Okay, so don't get weighed down by either pressure or pleasure. The devil will use both sin and sinners. The hostility of sinners and the pleasures of sin. That is what Jesus had to endure. Okay, please remember. So keep your mind clear. Verse 35. Yeah, let's go further down. 35. Watch therefore, pray always that you be counted. Okay. There is a worthiness God expects that you have to be counted worthy to ex- escape all these things that will come to pass and stand before the Son of God. To stand before the Son of God, to escape all this, God says, my son should find you worthy. You are worthy to escape this. That you don't need any more refinement. You are ready. Because the purpose of this all, the purpose of all of this is, and for those who are watching, in like, uh, our our beam is one minute, our beam is back, and YouTube and Facebook will be clear. You can look at me clearly. Don't count my pimples and my gray hairs, okay? Because of the clarity, okay? Leave that to my wife. Mm. Okay? Yes, thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Okay? So, here we are again. Okay? Be very, very, very careful. Watch therefore, watch therefore, watch therefore. Pray always. 
I would put it this way. Watch always, pray always. That you should be counted, okay? God has a standard. Let us, let us put it like this, okay? God has a standard he has set. When we reach that standard, God says, you are worthy to escape. You are ready. The work of Christ in you is complete. You don't have to go through this. Okay. In Titus chapter 2, verse 12 to 13. 12 to 13, Titus chapter 2, verses 12 to 13. Teaching us, that's the grace of God, okay? Denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously and godly in the present age, looking for the, what is that blessed hope? And the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, that's our blessed hope. He will come, we will go. Okay, he will come, we will go. We will not be caught in this. We will be able to escape. Okay. That is why we have to be very, 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 very serious. Very, very serious. Every generation had to go through this. But the last generation will be the worst generation in terms of sin and greatest generation in terms of overcoming. Okay. So First Thessalonians chapter 5.23 says, The God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. When he comes, all three, body, soul and spirit. And we know the filthiness of the spirit in Corinthians 7. 1. What, is, what does that actually mean? That means we are set apart for God. Set apart completely for our God, our body, our soul, and our spirit. Now let me come to one of the major points of tonight. Complete sanctification, sanctification and overcoming are not the same. You can be completely sanctified, set apart for God, and not overcome. Okay? One is something that happens to you internally. That's why Joseph has to be taken out of his house. He's sanctified. He's a good boy. But now you're going to be tested whether you will overcome the world. Okay? Sanctification is one thing. Overcoming. Nowhere you will read in those seven letters, God says, He who is sanctified will sit on my throne. Okay? Sanctification is more like a, he set you apart, he has cleansed you. Now he is going to use you. There are a lot of sanctified saints who are not used at all because they are not willing. They are not willing. Okay. The pictures you have in the old covenant is the wilderness journey. In the wilderness journey, Israel is brought, saved from the blood. They come through. They go through their water baptism, the cloud, the spirit baptism, and death. The entire purpose of the wilderness journey is to sanctify them. To get Egypt out of their heads. Win over your body. Win over your flesh. Win over Egypt. All that. Okay? That is the sanctification part. Did the first generation, did they get sanctified? No. But the second generation got sanctified there. Now when they step in, the second generation is going to overcome. And that is why when the first person brings 
unholiness there, he and his household is immediately remembered because it will affect their overcoming. Akhan and his family is removed. Identified and removed. Identified and removed because the second generation is the conquest. Is the conquest. Okay, that is they are overcoming. The first generation, the first trip sanctified the second generation in the wilderness. And then they overcame. And to overcome, they had to fight so many battles. So many battles. Jesus looked at his disciples and he told, you are clean because of the word. And then they started their journey in the book of Acts. It's a sanctified saints who are coming are beaten. Okay, you are beaten. How will you react? Sanctified saint, the leap for joy countered. Earlier they were running away. Beaten black and blue and thrown into the prison, praying and singing. You know what? Now they are overcoming. They were sanctified. Now they are us. They were overcoming. Okay. So these are the things which we have to understand what God is trying to teach us. Sanctification and overcoming. Sanctification and overcoming. Okay. If you go to Joshua chapter 21. And verses 43 to 5, and the end of it all, okay, after they finished everything, Joshua 21, the Lord gave to Israel all the land which he had sworn to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it and dwelt in it. And the Lord gave them rest all around, according to all that he had sworn to their fathers, and not a man of their enemies stood against them, and the Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord has spoken to the house of Israel, and all came to pass. Do you remember what God had spoken through Ananias to Saul in the beginning? This is my chosen vessel. He shall stand before kings, and he shall suffer a lot. Right? In Second Timothy, he will say, all I've been fulfilled in my life. I came through it. I stood before kings. I didn't buckle. They feared. I did not fear. I have overcome. I have finished my fate. He's at rest. He's at rest. Okay. New covenant, you have to read it in terms of what happens there in spiritual terms over there. So remember, sanctification is going on. Overcoming also has to go on. Okay. Otherwise, sanctification loses its meaning. He will keep your body, your soul and your spirit blameless at the time of his coming. Also, you also have to be careful. You also have to be careful. Am I overcoming? That's the difference. Only when we understand this truth that we will realize how woefully short and unprepared we are. Okay? Like, COVID-19 came in. All of them were boasting technology, telemedicine, this thing, blah, blah, blah. One virus suddenly showed how all the nations were totally unprepared. Totally unprepared. No ventilator shortage, mask shortage, gloves shortage, everything. Okay. Nobody expected this. Nobody expected this. But it exposed to what? How unprepared the every country was. Every country was. In the same way, this virus has also exposing to the church how unprepared we were spiritually for something like this. How unprepared we are. Okay? So in First Peter chapter 4 and verse 17, For time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. 
So it begins with us first. Okay? So before, God is just giving us a warning. He's telling the church, how prepared are you? Individuals, how prepared are you? Families, how prepared are you? So don't call this coronavirus. It is actually coronavirus. God in his mercy has given the church a time to reflect before the thunderbolts begin. Okay, he's given the church good time, sit in your homes, sit alone, sit with your families, listen to the word, watch and pray and prepare yourself. With what I was still, this began. Like nations were not prepared. Am I actually spiritually prepared for the stuff that has been prophesied will come in the end days? Am I really, really prepared? In Ezekiel chapter 9 and verse 6, 9 and verse 6, okay? Utterly slay old and young men, maidens and little children and women, and do not come near anyone on whom is the mark. And begin where? At my sanctuary. And so they began with the elders who were before the temple. Okay. Okay. Now we look at it and it's okay, different thing it's talking about. Okay. But if you read it spiritually, he says, let them sleep. Go to spiritual slumber. Let them go to spiritual slumber. You know what sleep also means spiritually. Okay. Let us lie. After this 21 days are over, a church emerges, it's totally gone to sleep. Didn't understand anything that God was doing. I mean, I tell you, the majority of the church tomorrow will be flashing lights and candle lights and lighting diyas because they have no clue what it actually means. And open demonic doors into all their lives because it means something else in another religion. Tomorrow the day and the time and the number nine and the light and everything. They're clueless. Church will go more, one part of a huge church will more, more into bondage. But God says there is a set of people, don't even touch them. Leave them alone. Okay. The outer courts people all will be touched if you read this carefully. Inner court and holy place nobody is touched. Okay. Nobody will be touched. So you need to be very, very, very careful about what God is saying. Okay. God is showing extreme mercy should not see this extreme judgment this is extreme mercy where God has ordered every government in the world to shut down for his people's sake give them time to reflect on their lives how prepared are they okay so please prepare persevere endure 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 can you endure like this is the 15 days or 15 days are over this is the 15th day and the 30th, 32nd message. Did you endure? All those who are listening, did you endure? Are you able to endure? It's a question. Are you able to endure? Okay. Are you able to endure? Because the Bible is very clear. Everything will come like a trap. That was Luke 21, 35. It will come like a snare. We already read that. But if you go to Luke chapter 17, another portion where his disciples privately came and asked him, and verse 34 and 35, Jesus seems to be suggesting also in the middle of the trap something else. I tell you in that night there will be two men in one bed. One will be taken, the other will be left. 
two women will be grinding together, one will be taken and the other left. So he's also talking about something else. Okay? There is something mysterious that will happen for those who are prepared. They will just disappear. They will just disappear. Okay? Okay, disappear. And, and this thing, I know our church knows it, but all the others who are hearing, please understand this. I tell you in that night, there will be two men in one bed. One will be taken, the other will be left. So, okay. Two men, women will be grinding together. So, one is talking about the night, the other is talking about the day. And this was written 2,000 years ago when people did not know sun rose in one area while it was dark in another area. They did not know. They did not know. This time thing and all, nobody knew. This is all modern discoveries after people started traveling and all, they realized all these things. So when Jesus writes, he's writing what he already knows, which we discover quietly and give credit to ourselves saying we discovered it. Okay, so there is rapture also there being mentioned. So put all this, take all these warnings seriously. Prepare like Noah did. Because scripture says, when he was divinely warned of things unseen, he prepared an ark with holy fear for the saving of his family. Okay, so please remember this. Philadelphia, Revelation chapter 3, verse 8 to 10, because we always have to give you what we call hope also. Right? Philadelphia. and But your hope should be sure. We cannot give this uh, outer court hope where everybody thinks they are just going to make it. That Jesus does not say that at all. Then there is this inner court hope where they take you back to the law. They are also preaching tribulation. It's coming, 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 coming. But you know what their answer is? Go back to the law. A lot of people are listening to those messages. How you have to go back to the law and get into that again. So this is the danger. If you don't look at the word carefully, either the outer court people will say, oh, nothing like that will happen. Jesus loves me so much. He will just take me. And the inner court people will say, we need to go back and get even more, get into the law, keep it to the minute details, celebrate all the fees and everything. But that's not what God talks about. If you look at the Revelation 3 to one church, I know your works. I see I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. Okay, now we talk it as an open door of ministry, which is true. It can also be an open door of escape. Open door. And nobody can shut it. Not even the devil or the, all the big, all the hostile sinners cannot stop it. They're keeping it open for you. No one can shut it. And then he says, reason, for you have a little strength, but have kept my word. You have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of this. Okay, we leave nine. Let's go to verse 10. Because you have kept my command. You have little strength. You kept my word. You did not deny my name. You kept my command too. This, it is a command. And how many times it is repeated in the new command. Endure, endure, persevere, endure, persevere, endure, endure. You kept my command to persevere. I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. He says, he's telling them, you, I will keep you. I'll keep an open door for you. I'll keep you from that. So one choice that promise is given. While corresponding to that, if you come further down, 
that is in 15 and 16 to another church that is Laodicea, absolutely gung-ho thinking they have made it when they haven't nowhere. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you a cold or hot. Then because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. If you are cold... This is my reading. I could be wrong, but this is my reading. Okay, If you are cold, then you are anywhere in the world. You are appointed for wrath. Okay, But you are neither cold nor hot. You are lukewarm. So you are not appointed for wrath, but you are not appointed for rapture either. So I will spew you into the tribulation. Come through that. Come through that. Now... When tribulation begins, you will suddenly realize all that I heard was true. Now you come through. You will have to die and come through. But your death, you will be refined through tribulation. We may be worried about death. He is not worried about death. He's already overcome it. Okay? So you have to read these things carefully. The warnings given in the Bible. Otherwise, we are absolutely, totally blind. Because from Romans down to Revelation 20, it's 22, it's warnings, warnings, warnings. Why would a loving father warn his children so much? No, holy God, unless he's very, very serious about it. So I believe this is divinely ordained by God in his kindness, in his goodness, in his mercy to the church church and if you have noticed all around people are not sure and they are always listening to the Christians because you are the only people who talk about somebody coming okay when a crisis like this comes that is when God says you know what when this crisis comes put your head up put your head up okay so you will see churches have gone millions online speaking Put your head up in the midst of Christ. Others, what do they say? What do they say? Honestly, if you are part of any religion, if you studied any of the, if you are a Buddhist, I studied Buddhism, what can a Buddhist say? What can a Hindu say? What can a Muslim say? What can a Catholic say? What can you say? What is the hope you have? Time like this. But he says, you lift up your heads because you know exactly. So they will look to you. They will look to you. So God is saying, I am giving this time so many Gentiles after this, through this will also come to the Lord. And the church will wake up. The rest, let them. I can't give a more big warning than this. Universal warning than this. So keep these things in mind. Because that is the reason we are studying all these things. How to overcome first the part of sanctification or personal sanctification. Dealing with, we dealt with Reuben. We dealt with <coughs> Simeon and uh, Levi. Okay, if you look at that, first born is Reuben, second born is Simeon, third born is Le- uh, Levi. And you will see when Sishem is attacked, it is Simeon and Levi who do it. So who is the leader? Simeon. Because Reuben is weak. So Simeon takes over his position and he's a very violent guy, Simeon. And Levi also follows and Simeon and Levi is the one who puts the city to death. Don't you ever think Joseph was a small boy understanding nothing. He was watching everything that is happening. His elder brother's weakness, second brother's wrath, and he's watching that. That's why when they go the first time he locks Simeon up. He locks him up. Lovingly, because you're the violent man. You reflect first on the violence of your life. He doesn't touch Levi, because this is the Spirit of God operating through him. Though it is Miriam and Aaron who opposed Moses, it is Miriam who has to stand outside seven days. The high priest can't stand outside. 
then there is no atonement. So he lets Aaron go and makes Miriam stand outside. In the same way, Joseph will lock up Simon and let Levi go because he know positionally he has to become a priest one day. Okay, so the spirit of Christ is working through him and we have to look at it and say, you know what? This boy was not an ordinary boy. Not an ordinary boy. He's seeing things. And why is he put over there in the book of Genesis as an example to us? Why is he put over there? Because he says, you want to overcome? Study from the lives of these people. Those who are overcomers would have poured through the lives. Okay, you have to go through stages. Okay, those who sit in the outer courts will still study other things. They only will read Psalm 23 and Psalm 91 selectively and read a few gospels. Beyond that, they don't know doctrine at all. Okay, those who are into sanctification alone will read Daniel and this thing, but that is Excellent. It has to be good. We have to go beyond that. We have to go into overcoming. <clears throat> and Joseph has been put over there because this is the time to sanctify and we prepare to overcome. So we stopped yesterday. Where did we stop? With uh, Josh, Joseph was in 37 and verse 5. Joseph had a dream. Right? That's where we began. Stopped. Now Joseph had a dream. Question, do you have a dream? Do you have a dream? One, if you have a dream, who is the source of your dream? Who is the source of your dream? Everybody dreams. Who is the source of your dreams? In Matthew 13, and if I am right, verse 35... 13 and verse, not 35, 25, 13, 25, Matthew 13, 25. While men slept, the enemy came and sowed tears. So when people sleep, there is another fellow also who sows. Okay? He can also give you dreams. The problem with tears is they look exactly like the wheat until it is fruit time. So he can give you very good dreams, but the source is not God. Not God. Okay, so the question is, it's not where the first question, do you dream? Second, who is the source of your dream? Ecclesiastic chapter 5, verse 3, 5. For a dream comes through much activity. No? Okay, so much activity, okay, so much activity means worries, 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 anxiety, worries, 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 or dreaming, 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 you watch so much YouTube videos and Netflix and everything and then one day you dream you are an actor, but it's too much activity, it's got nothing to do with me, too much activity, dreams which are result of too much Activity. NIV uses the term, if I don't have to go there, calls it cares. Too many worries. No, that's how mothers are. In the night also they're dreaming about what to make for breakfast. <laughs> what to, what to cook tomorrow. No, they dream these dreams. Too much activity, he says, okay? Ecclesiastic 5-7. In the multitude of dreams and many words, there is also Ah, much 
So the dreams are vanity. So the dreams are vanity. I had some vain dreams in the beginning of my ministry. You know, sitting in this programs, you know, Christian programs, sitting over there, and I used to dream, now the pastor is going to come over there, and he's saying that, the Lord is speaking to me, there is a young man sitting in this crowd, <laughs> young man sitting in this crowd, and he's going to call me by name, and then I'm going to go there, and I'm going to preach, and nothing like that happened, okay? nothing like that happened, okay, okay. In the multitude of dreams, there is also, what? Vanity. vanity. So many. That's how a lot of vain preachers have come and they are dressed also in vanity. <laughs> and they will always come and tell about how they had this dream. And then they whip these people to give them so much money to fulfill their dreams. And people buy their dreams. Okay, they also, so you have a church full of dreamers. They sell their dreams and the people buy their dreams. <laughs> okay, and the guy who gets the money lives his dreams. Okay, so it's full of dreams. Okay, so please remember, Joseph had a dream. But that dream was from God. Be very careful to know the source of your dream. Then, Bible talks about another kind of dreamers. Jude chapter 1 and verse 8. Okay. Likewise also, these dreamers defile. They are filthy dreamers. Filthy dreamers. How do you know those whose dreams are filthy? First thing is that they reject authority. And they speak evil of dignitaries. They speak evil. And they reject authority and they have dreams that defile the flesh. They have dreams that defile the flesh. Meaning their dreams are all unclean dreams. Unclean dreams. And if you look at there is a pattern in their life, they reject authority. They reject the authority of God's word. They reject the authority of God's servants who speak that word. And they speak evil about them. If you speak about sanctification and a holy life, they will mock you. They mock you. They hate those kind of sermons. And then they have dreams which are filthy, which defile the flesh. Okay? So please note these things. When he told his dream to his brothers, they hated him. They hated him. So you have to be very, very careful. Learn from Joseph. Mistakes. Have to be very, very careful with whom you share your dream. You do not dream dreams that are from the Spirit, from God, with flesh and blood. With flesh, especially. Doesn't matter how close they are. You do not share those dreams. You share spiritual dreams only with spiritual people. Spiritual, mature people. So they understand, they appreciate, and they encourage your dreams. If you come there, you will see, if, if you come there, if you know your story, you will see he dreamt twice. Okay? He dreamt twice. His father on earth had given him a gift that was a coat of many colors. Later in life, he will get other coats also. But his father in heaven gave him another gift. That was the ability to see dreams and interpret dreams. The coat which his father on earth gave will be taken away. 
But the Bible says the gifts and the calling are irrevocable. Okay? And his gift is in accordance to his calling. According to his calling. Okay? Okay, you have a gift and you will have a calling. Okay, that's how it works. Okay. Like I still remember 1994, the pastor calling me and is out of the blue calling me and says, it's like, it's like shocking. It's like shock. He says, next week I'm going to Singapore. So next Sunday you are preaching. And I have never preached in my life. <laughs> never preached in my life. Okay. I'm going to Singapore. So next Sunday you are preaching. Okay, I've never preached in my life. So next Sunday, I'm there at YMCA Hall in Secunderabad, preaching. And the crowd, it was, not a, it was not a big church, it was not a small church either. And all big people, meaning those who are very learned in the word, all kinds of people who are in ministry. And I'm preaching, young boy who's studying in Iflu, second year, first year of his MPhil. Preaching the word, out of the blue called, and you can, you can easily guess where did I, which book did I preach from? Genesis. Genesis, okay, from Genesis chapter 3. You know what? I stood there with uh, butterflies in my stomach and I preached. It was, when I finished preaching, I realized I have a gift and this is my calling. The scenario says, he has called me and this is my gift. And all my Iflu friends came and they were so happy because this is Iflu crowd which was coming and all the other crowd. So Iflu crowd came and said, oh, we are so proud of you. We are so proud of you. They felt very bad. Okay, so it's called reflected glory. But what I am saying is, your gift will also reveal your calling. Okay? The gifts that man gives you can be taken away. But the gift your father gives you is never taken away. On the other hand, it will be tested in difficult times. The Bible says, the one who has a gift will stand before kings. And you will see, Joseph will stand before kings. Okay? So that's where we start. He has hallowed his father's name. He loves his father. He's zealous for his father. So a level of sanctification has taken place in his life. We know that. Now, God gives him a dream. Basically telling him, this is your purpose in life. Okay? And the Bible says, when they heard their dream, they hated him even more. Why? What was the reason? The reason was, let's, let's go further down. Please hear this. We were binding and the sheaves in the field, behold my sheaf rose and stood upright and endured your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. It's very simple to understand. My eyes, like if I were to say, I had a dream. You know what was a dream? Uh, we were all standing and then I was standing straight and you were all bowing down. Everybody understands what that dream is. Everybody understands. Okay. Why is that when we hear, when people are told that you need to be upright, then only you will reign. People get mad. It is this overcoming message and when churches preach that everybody will not reign, everybody will not be part of rapture, everybody will not sit with Jesus on the throne, everybody gets mad. But that is the truth from the days of Joseph. They are all sons, but only one will rule. 
That's the truth. And they get mad. And even today people get mad. What do you think? You people who call the time preaching about sanctification, overcoming, you are the only church in town. We didn't say that. We are saying that this is the pattern for overcomers. We are not talking about salvation here. We are talking about overcoming. And eight times in the book of Revelation, Jesus says, he who overcomes, he who overcomes, he who overcomes. He went to the best churches, like you heard in the mornings. The best church, Philadelphia. Nothing negative to say. Still he says, hold fast to the crowd. You haven't finished yet. You're almost there. Still hang in there. Don't lose your crown in the last minute. Okay. So the question is, do we have a vision of uprightness? This first thing Jesus says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Do we seek righteousness in everything? The righteousness that comes from God, not from man, which comes by faith and faith alone. That is where hearing is important because the scepter of his kingdom is the scepter of righteousness. And that's Joseph. That's what he sees. No. And these people, Daniel, Joseph and all saw that when they were young. When you are young, if you are able to see the vision of the righteousness of God, you are set for life. You should see that when you are young. Before, that is what Solomon finally realizes and he says, my children, what does he say? Youth, serve your God, creator in the days of your, before that days come. Because you are set by then. You have persevered and you are set now. And when these things come, Habit is already set. Character is already set. You are able to, now God is able to send you out because you are sanctified. Now you can overcome. He can send you out. Okay. So that's what he's talking about. In Psalm 19 and verse 13, the psalmist prays, Keep your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Okay. Too loaded that one line is. Okay. Too much over. I'll leave it to Pastor Vijay. <laughs> okay. Too much over there. Okay. Because I have to give you the big picture. He will take an electron microscope and deal with Psalm 1913. Okay. But it's talking about. There are sins of presumption. Presumption. Okay. That is why, like I said, why God took Israel through the wilderness. You think you are ready, you marching and marching in order. And then they look, oh, Pharaoh coming. He says, did you see? Did you see? The way you are marching, he says, look, this is a battle, not a parade. That's what happens to young boys. The army is so good. The army, navy puts their advertisement on. And in their advertisement, they will sort of fly, ships going, shooting, marching. When you join over there, you will realize, Appa, I didn't know. But you already have signed. Now you cannot get out. You are in. No, you can. There was this one guy who became a pastor later. He says when he retired, I mean, finished his service in the U.S. Army and he came out. He says when they came to the college for the recruitment, he was so nice. He said everything. I'm not in the recruitment camp. He says was very nice. We sat seated in the chair, chatted everything, told him everything and very friendly this thing. And he said, are you willing? He said everything. He said all the paperwork, everything. And he once he signed. And once he signed, he said, get up. 
Now you will breathe when I tell you to breathe. <laughs> you will eat when I tell you to eat. You will sit down when you... You, life belongs to me. He said it was a shock. And he had sighed. He said there is no way you can go back. You are in for life. But he says that's how they train you the first. And I remember one of the recruits, I mean, who became one of these guys saying that, you know. He says, you are asked to... Climb up the stairs backwards and then forward and backwards and upward until you are tired and you will not stop until I tell you. Okay, you see. And then they finally they will tell you. So why do you make us all? He says, you know what? We are training you to obey and listen because a time will come in the war. You will have a fraction of second to instruction and fight. So we are training you. We are not asking you to think and imagine and all. We are training you to hear and obey. So the fall, the training is going into that. And that's what God is talking about, training in righteousness. Little things and little things and little things and little things and little things. How you deal with your father, how you deal with your mother, how you deal with your brothers, how you deal with your father's money and the clothes and the shoes and the socks and the thing. Everything righteousness is concerned. You deal with these little things and little things and little things and little things and then one day you are thrown before the devil. It's very easy You take a stand because you have been already been transformed in those things. And that's Daniel and Joseph. Little, 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 little things. You know, otherwise, you will only see the big picture and you are not able to see the small details. And God is a God of details. God is a God of details. He is, eyes is on the individual and the whole world. He's the only one who can look at the entire world and also minutely be interested in the hair that falls from your head. And you know the nature of God and you need to realize what God is talking about. Every detail of your life is important to me. It's important to me. It matters to me. And you want to be an overcomer, you will also keep your eye on every detail of your life. This is not nothing to do with unsaved or saved. This is got to do with Overcoming. Okay. Okay. That is reigning. That is authority because he says you need to realize a day is coming when you rule over the world. Saints will judge angels in eternity. Remember? Nehemiah sitting over there, you know, standing there as a cupbearer and the king, this thing and the voice face said. He was trembled, he was afraid. Okay. The king noticed his expression. He turned around for his good. But the fact of the matter is the king notices, he notices everything. Because the whole idea is this, the whole idea of sovereignty and kingship is this. You should not cause anything in your outward or any behavior, cloth, dressing, anything that causes disturbance in the mind of the sovereign. Because he has to focus on ruling. That is the whole idea. He is focused on one thing. So you should not have it. That's why we talk about our worship. The worship is focused on God. There should be no distractions. Because this is sovereign. The king of kings and the lord of lords. If you go to that country called Bhutan. Now when the king and our higher people come. They don't wear. They wear this huge gown. With a, This is how they will stand. The sleeve will come over. They will stand like this. And they will only talk like this. Meaning, even my breath should not disturb the king. Should not disturb the king. Okay. These are sovereigns of the earth. Kings of the earth. Okay. Kings of the earth.
And that is what God is talking about, okay? He is preparing you to rule. Eternity is coming. This is, this is the character of Christ Jesus. If Christ Jesus said that, my father has never left me because I always do what pleases him. That means his spirit is so sensitive every second he realizes, you know what, there is nothing in me that disturbs my dad. Absolutely. 30 years, he said, that's what the Hebrews 5 will talk until his obedience was made. And he, how did he go through? Through suffering. Through suffering, the suffering of training the flesh consistently. Suffering, 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 training the flesh until his obedience was spoke. Then the father left, send him out and is ready. So that was his sanctification, 30 years. And after 30, he is overcoming. 30 years after you see him, you are not seeing sanctification of Jesus Christ. You are seeing the overcoming of Jesus Christ. He's overcoming the same, everything he's overcoming. Okay, so you have to see these two concepts. Sanctification, and in our case, we are being sanctified, but we are also have to overcome. We are not sanctified so completely that now we can get out. No, sanctification is a continuous process. So here is the servant saying, no. So to see God's kingdom, his righteousness is a choice. But grace is there. Okay, It is a choice. We struggle when we see these truths, but we have to see it and walk in it. If you look to Daniel chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Daniel 1, chapter verses 3 and 4. Got that? The king, this is a Babylonian king, instructed Aspenas, that is the head of the eunuchs, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles. Okay? Said bring. But before they can be brought, even admitted into the king's academy, they have to go through the screening test. And this is the test. Seven qualities. In whom there is no blemish. Good looking. KJ will use the term well favored. Gifted in all wisdom. Possessing knowledge. Quick to understand. Ability to serve in the king's palace. And in whom they might teach the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. Seven things for an ordinary earthly king. These seven qualities. So the question asked is, that if this is the kind of stuff an earthly king demands to stand before him and serve him, how much more the heavenly king? Long ago in Surya Pet, we preached this. Long ago. Many years ago. But this is... The whole seven things can be translated into spiritual qualities God looks. The scripture says he will make us without blemish. Good looking, not outwardly, inwardly. Everything, the whole thing. Seven qualities to stand. Sammy just checked this. Okay, this keeps on moving, so it irritates me. Okay, later. So the question is, if that is what a king, and after this they go for three years training. So all these pictures are given to us so that we can stand before our king. Now let us go back to 37. We saw the dreams. We know these two dreams. We know it very well. The two dreams he saw. His father also got a little irritated. Okay, because his second dream he saw his mother and father all bowing before him. Okay, so father come down. Okay, he's hated even more for his dreams and his words. He then he dreamed still another dream and told it to his brothers and said, look, I have dreamed another dream. This time the sun, the moon, the eleven stars bow down to me. Okay, yeah. Keep going down. 
So he told it to his father and his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream that you have dreamt? Shall your mother and I, your brothers, indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? His brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in his mind. Okay, they envied They See, they, those days, they believed in dreams, because God did not speak through other ways. Dreams and visions were one of the primary ways, and they know their father and their grandfather and great-grandfather all had seen dreams. So they know what it meant, and they envied him. They can't stop him from dreaming. But they envy. And the father kept that in his mind. And then? Then his brothers went to feed their father's flock in Sishem. Okay? Narrative changes. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers feeding the flock in Sishem? Come, I will send you to them. So he said, Here I am. There it all begins. The story of Joseph begins there. So the first question we ask is, can you be told? First question. Can your father talk to you if you're a child sitting there, youth, teenager? Can your mother talk to you? Can your husband talk to you? Can your pastor talk to you? We're looking at in terms of authority God has placed a person under. Can your father talk to you? If you're a young person living in your father's house, can he talk to you? Can your mother talk to you? Can your husband talk to you? Can your pastor talk to you? Everything will begin here. This is divinely ordained by God. All the visions and revelations and dreams are worth nothing if you do not pass this test. This is called the test of obedience. If you don't pass this test, was your dream real? Yes. Did God give it to you? Yes. Is your vision real? Yes. Will it come to pass? No. There are stages before it comes to pass. Will you pass the test of obedience? Okay. That's the question. Will you obey when you are told something? In First Samuel chapter 16, verse 19. Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the sheep. Now, are you the guy who got anointed by Samuel? He still goes back. His father said, okay, you got your anointing and go back. Take care of the sheep. And he went. You're gifted. You're gifted. You got the anointing from the prophet. But where are you? Take care of sheep. You had two dreams of reigning. And the father says, go check on your brothers. Will you go? Because the problem is the minute we get a vision or we get an anointing, we've realized now we are not cut for ordinary things. We are not cut for ordinary things because now I am a cut apart. That's a problem. If you look at 17 verse 15, First Samuel 17 and verse 15. Okay, like he takes him into his service, King Saul takes him into his service. And what does Bible say? David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. Which boy will leave a palace and go to sheep, feed sheep? David. And God is watching over all these things. That's why these little nuggets are given over there. That's what I said. God watches every detail of our life. Okay, I have anointed you. But let me see whether you will do that ordinary things of life. That's why he sent his son as a carpenter. After one year, five years, six years, seven years... 
Father and mother also forget all the dreams and Egypt running, all the angelic, everybody forget. They will call, Yeshua, yes dada, bring me that log, yes dada, who is this son of God? Yeshua, bring me that hammer, yes dada, Yeshua, will give me a bucket of water, yes baba. That is why when there is an issue in Kana, she straight away comes to him because she knows this is one boy who will always listen to whatever I say. Is obedient. Okay. Well, I think he has crossed a line which she doesn't understand. Okay. That's what you have to look, ask. Because, you know, sometimes we have a gift and we have a vision, but have we passed the first test, the test of obedience? What did his father say? Will he go to? Sishem. You heard much about Sishem in the morning, right? I didn't know it was coming in the evening too, Sishem. For all things you have, reasons you have, you have all reasons not to go. And one reason to go. One reason to go because your father said. All the reason not to go. One, I am the youngest. They are all old. I am just 17. Two, all the servants in the house are also there. Why should I go? Second, aren't these people very hostile? Aren't the people we kill, are they very angry, mad with us? So it's a risk for my life to go. They went together. Are you asking me to go alone? I can't go alone. No, I can't go alone. It's a risk. And the distance, Dada, it's 60 kilometers, 60 miles. It's not a short distance. You're not just like going to the corner shop and get me some from the Kirana shop. No, walk 60 miles. Where are you? Hebron. Why are you asking me to go to Sishet? And that's not a good place. And this place I like Hebron, of course I like fellowship with God and fellowship with, ah, it's a nice place of fellowship. And you're telling, sending me to among to those Gentiles who are so hostile. But that's where God sends us. First test is a test we all have to pass. In Hebrews 11 and verse 8. 11. And verse 8. Got it? Abraham obeyed. <laughs> Abraham obeyed. He obeyed. When he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an He went out not knowing where he was going. But he obeyed. That's the beginning of his journey. What is the beginning of your journey with God? You heard? You obeyed. Joseph. Yes, Dada. Will he go? Here I am. Romans chapter 1 verse 5. After that incredible introduction. I, Paul, the bond servant, everything. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for what? Obedience. obedience to the faith. There is a faith and there is obedience to that faith. Among all nations for his name. That's what Jesus had given the commission. Teach them to obey everything. Okay, everything that I have taught you. So there is faith. And there is obedience. But today's faith, there is only confession. There is no obedience. Obedience that comes from faith. And when he finishes his letter in Romans 16 and verse 19, what does he commend them for? The church in Rome, 16, 19. For your obedience has become known to all. He doesn't say your worship is known to all. His singing is known to all. Your dancing is known to all. He says your obedience to the faith is known to all. Your church known for your obedience to the word of God. That's what he's telling Philadelphia. You have very little strength, but you have kept my, you have obeyed my, and you have not denied my 
name and you have persevered not that you kept it two days and three days and four days no from the time you heard it you have persevered 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 in keeping the word and honoring my name till today you have persevered in it i'll keep a door open for you you have persevered in it your obedience is known your reverence for my name is known right a father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come Thy will be done. And he says, I'll open the door. Keep it for you. Have persevered in it continuously. Have learned it. That this is the things that matter in life. Therefore, I'm going to keep a door open for you. Because this is just a sign to prepare people for what is actually coming. Really, really coming. What is coming. And the question is, are we known for our obedience? As a man, as a woman, as a husband, as a wife, as a father, as a mother... As a child, whatever you are in place, are you known for your obedience? Because the proof of faith is obedience. And John 14, 15, not only the proof of faith is obedience, the two, two, two top things in the God's hierarchy, love, faith, hope. If you love me, you will keep my, the proof of love is also obedience. Hope is a different thing. It's connected with the future. So there are two things which are connected with my walk with God now. One is love. One is faith. And the proof of both is obedience. Somebody called it like listening ears and obeying hearts. In Philippians 2, this is what Paul will say in verse 12 and 30. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, always obeyed. How? Not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. That is the key. You obeyed in my presence, you're obeying in my absence too. And says, work out your own salvation, fear and trembling. Keep doing it, persevere in it, and God will do it in you and do it through you. If you persevere in your obedience to what you have heard. So the question is, will we obey? Will you go? The test will begin. What do we want to be known as? Sanctified saint or overcoming saint? Well, you received two dreams about reigning. Now I will test whether you are fit to reign. The entire test is, are we fit to reign? There are two things that can change a believer's life. Both are good, both are necessary. In Second Peter chapter 3 verse 11 and 13 to 14. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? And verse 13 and 14, nevertheless, we according to his promise look for a new heaven and new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot. And so, what is one thing that can change our life? It's what we've been preaching all this day. The reality of judgment that is coming. Judgment can change your perspective completely. That's why God is giving the church a break and says, you know what, I wasn't kidding when I spoke through all my prophets all these years. Judgment is here. It's here. I'm telling you, this will be over. It will take quite a few months. After that, famine will come. Shortage. Jobs. 
lack of resources, all this is going to come. Okay? And he's saying, judgment is one of the two things that can change a believer's walk completely. The understanding of judgment. Nevertheless, scripture says, we know all, considering that the whole thing is going to be burned up, what kind of people should you be? Second thing is the concept about overcoming. One is judgment, the other is overcoming. Okay, Judgment can change your walk completely. If you turn to Genesis chapter 5, verses 21 to 24. Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. Okay. He lived 65 and he had a son called Methuselah. After he begot Methuselah, comma, that's a way sentence construction. Enoch walked with God 300 years. So, assumption, presumption is very clear. It is after the birth of Methuselah that something happened. He started walking with God. It changed his walk with God. And he had sons and daughters. So it was not sons and daughters. This boy, when he was born, changed. All the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. So if you go back over there, you will see he has a son. Absolutely definite. He heard from God when the son was born. Call him Methuselah. Okay. Now imagine, Roshan and Tabitha has a second child, and Roshan prays and hears, call him judgment. We all have nice, beautiful, fancy, beautiful, biblical names for our child, but what happens if the child's name is not decided by you? That was what happened to John the Baptist. Father is mute. The mother is very clear he should be called John. But there is nobody in your family called John. Call him Zachariah, call him this. She said, not John. So they said, we will ask the father. The father is mute. But that day when they ask the father, the father opens his mouth and says, John. So when the name is, the first promise in the new covenant is, you shall call him Yeshua. Yeshua means he's a savior. So the name signifies something radical is going to take place with this boy. So here is a name given which is called Methuselah, which means when he dies, judgment will come. That changed his walk. That changed his life. So the teaching of judgment will change many people's life. Okay? But it is not just a one day thing or a one month thing. You know, walked with God. It changed his life completely, totally, radically. He started walking with God. Okay. So you will actually see when he dies, judgment will come. Methuselah dies, the flood begins. Okay. So what happens is at the age of 65, he changes direction. To change your direction, you have to change also the direction of your affections. Your affections have to turn towards God. You have your wife, you have your children, you have your work, you have everything. But once you realize it, the seat of your affections turns towards God. Love God with all your heart, with all your might, all your strength. If any man loves anybody or even himself more than me, you cannot be my disciple. A disciple is somebody who walks with God. Others are followers. They don't walk with God. They are followers. They too walk, but they walk behind him. They don't walk with him. 
So when something else comes, they leave him and they go back home. But disciples walk with him. So you have the first disciple in the Bible, that is Enoch. Enoch walks with God. He walks with God. <clears throat> he changed direction, his affections, his walk, everything changes. You know, like we used to teach students, you will always say that aiming is deliberate. It's never accidental. It's never accident. Doesn't. Aiming doesn't by accident. It is very, 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 very deliberate. It cannot be accident. That's the difference between Saul and David. See the difference between Saul and David? Saul lost his donkeys. So his encounter with Samuel was a kind of accidental. If he hadn't lost. But David's was not an accident. It was deliberate. Go to the Bethlehem. Go to the house of Jesse. I will tell you which son. Very clear. Very, very clear. And you will see nothing accidental in the way David walks. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth from father's house to the sheep. Palace to the sheep. He says, that's my duty. Until God changes it, that will be my duty. I will not. He's very, very clear about what his purpose is. Until I am changed from a shepherd to something else, I will remain faithful to what I have been called. Yes, there's an anointing there. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to use this anointing to shepherd. And I believe it is after the anointing that actually he kills the bear and the lion. Bear and the lion. After. Okay. So he's using his anointing right now where you are. Okay. God is not aiming at man. Man has to aim at God. All our prayers is to change God. <laughs> and all of God's teaching is so that we can change. Because God says, I do not change. So, what's what I said? If I have to walk with God, the only way I can walk with God is every day saying, Lord, I am ready to change. He's not going to change. He's not going to change. That is why the husband is called the savior of the wife, meaning he's constantly changing her to fit in with him. But now it's, it's been the other way. That's why he's called the savior of the wife. I mean, these are fundamental principles. Sisters sitting over there, you need to understand this is scripture. Because the church is the mystery. The church and Christ is the mystery of marriage. Okay, The husband doesn't change really, really much for the wife. It's a wife who changes for the husband. Constantly changing for the husband. Okay, So, that is what is being said over here. If Enoch has to change, walk with God, Enoch has to change. God is not going to change. Can two walk together unless they are agreed? No. So I don't, God doesn't have to agree with me. I have to agree with God. I have to agree with God. And a lot of people never cross that following to becoming a disciple is because they don't want to agree with God. Very few disciples. Many are called. Few are because the few are willing to change. And who are the last category? The faithful. Meaning these people persevered in the change. Persevered in the change. By the 300 years, God told, you are sanctified. You are sanctified. Okay, you are sanctified. You are sanctified, you can come with me. Enoch, you are sanctified. But you have an overcome. 
You are sanctified. You are perfect in your sanctification. Come with me. I will send you back so that you will go fight and overcome. So Elijah and Enoch has to come back because they were sanctified. They didn't overcome. They have enough. He, he didn't face any challenge. He only separated himself and walked with God. But to, to fight battles in the name of Jesus Christ. Because Elijah failed. And he ran. So God says, I will send you back. Finish your fight and come back. This time, more, nobody will back. They will be there on earth. And they will face the might of this world and the sinners and this thing. And they will not back down. And they will die. And they will rise up. So they will be there to overcome in saints who are sanctified and overcomers. Okay. So God is saying, please understand these things. I mean, think about it. Just think about it. You have uh, the Prime Minister's office and they have the public relations office which does all the Prime Ministers, this thing. If Russian has to be called to be the photographer of the PMO's office, doesn't it really, really have to be good? Absolutely, right? Absolutely good to be there and he'll be doing all the photo shoots of the PM. Do you think it's a joke to sit on Jesus' throne and reign with him? Salvation is one thing, reigning with him is another thing. But he offers it to all his children. So it's open. Come run the race. My grace is there for you. Stick to me. Walk with me. Be sanctified and overcome. And don't look at all these troubles about submission and salvation. It's all irrelevant. Those are sufferings. Take it. Look at the goal that is set before you. All the women who have suffered in their submission, he says, get over there. If your husband make it, I will see that you rule over him there for eternity. Don't worry about it. Because there is no male or female in Christ Jesus. They are all spiritual beings. And you will reign with him. A woman who suffered and suffered and suffered in her submission to a moron. Okay? But she understands this is the principle. And I need to go through it because that is what Christ... I am looking for my glory. I am looking at my crown and I am going to go it. And she goes through, finally reaches an overcomer. This dude makes it on the last day of his life. He crosses over. And he will automatically think like attitude hasn't changed. It's like the rich man. Okay? <laughs> Send Lazarus to my... He still thinks... He's a, he's a wretched fellow sitting in hell. He's still got that attitude. He's rich and he can order Lazarus. Send Lazarus to my brother's house. So this guy reaches and he tells... Honey, where is my... God says, wait honey. <laughs> she is in charge of the six towns... And you are in that town, the furthest in that village, you are a chaukidar there. Go there, she listen to what she says. That, there are a lot of surprises which is going to happen in eternity where he said the last shall be the first and the first shall be the last. So if people don't see what these mean, this suffering is only... You think it was easy for Jesus to submit? Humble himself? This is God in the flesh. He has from eternity to eternity, from the time of creation, the morning star shouting for joy, a billion angels worshipping him day and night. And then he comes and he humbles and he humbles and he humbles and he humbles and he humbles. Think it was easy? The obedience was perfect. Absolutely perfect. So God is not saying it is easy, but he says, look at what is said before you. Jesus also saw the joy that was said before him. A set of overcomers will arise. That was the only joy. No, but that is the joy of God, the joy of a father. Another set of sons will arise like this. So that is what God is talking about here. Man has to aim. 
There is only one way you can walk with God. That is the walk of righteousness. God is righteous. Holiness is your character. Righteousness is your walk. Is your walk. Because you have to realize the pressure on Jesus. Okay, extreme. We don't know Jesus from except 12 years. We see a little snippet of his life. But at 30, he steps forward. Look at the pressure on Jesus to change to the ways of man. Good men trying to change him to their ways are not the ways of God. And he already knows the ways of God. Matthew chapter 3 verses 13 to 15. Jesus came from Galilee to John at Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him. Saying, I need to be baptized by you and you are coming to me. Jesus answered and said to him, permit it to be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Now he's looking at, this is the righteousness of my father. I don't have to ask, why should he baptize me? I should be baptizing. You know, my dad said, you baptize me. That's it. So John is trying to change. First pressure is from John. The one who has gone before him. Hey, 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 you don't have to do this. You don't have to do it. If you have to do it, let's reverse the position. He says, no, this is the position ordained by my father. He's not trying to change God's ways. Okay? He's not changing. He's trying to walk in the righteousness of his father. His father has determined a way. And that way is right. It may not, you may not even understand it. We may not even, nobody may agree with us. But it is irrelevant. That's what the father told and once that is over, he is driven by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. And the devil comes and tries to change the ways of God. Pressure, now from the devil. You're hungry, you're thirsty, you've been 40 days, he says, if you are, if you are, if you are, if you are. But he said, I am. That is why I will not do what you're talking about, because what you're doing, talking to me to do is contrary to the way of my father. I am the son of my father. You are also once the son of the father. You're also called son of God, right? But you did not stick to the way of my father. I will tell you, you can't take me to go out of the way of my father. The way of my father is the way of righteousness. So he goes through the temptation and comes out. And then you go to, he's, after that he comes and three days later the Bible says he is in Cana. Whichever that three day means. John chapter 2 and verse 4. 2 and verse 4. Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Again, pressure. What is that? Change the timing. Father has told me something. You are telling me something else. The pressure never stops. Loved ones and demonic and good people and bad people and Pharisees and the crowd wants to make him a king. Pharisees want a sign. If you go to John chapter 7 verses 3 to 6. Brothers have another agenda. His brothers therefore said to him, Depart from here, go into Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret, while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do, if you do these things, said, come. John 7, 3 to 6. Yeah. For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known. If you do this thing, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers did not believe in him. Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come, but your time is always ready. You can go anytime you want, do whatever you want, because you are not seeking my father's will or his ways. Are you? No. So you can do whatever you want. But I can't. 
I can't. No? So the question is, you heard your brother's association. Will you obey? And Joseph had no clue his dream was being tested. No clue. This is why this hearing is so important. Hearing is so, so important. If you don't hear, then we will go on under pressure. You have to hear from God. You have to be absolutely clear and be hidden in God. Know the character of God. Sanctification has two sides. Come out and be separated unto God. Okay, so you, if you if you go through Jesus, that gospel according to John is very very interesting. If you go through that in the, the next chapter, you will see John chapter three. Nicodemus comes, and just think about it. Okay, quietly somebody knocks at the door, and uh, somebody comes in wearing a robe and this thing, and then you open. It is KCR. How will we react? This is Nicodemus, the ruler of the Sanhedrin. Does it affect Jesus? No. Does it change the message? No. Doesn't change at all. You must be born again. Otherwise you cannot see or enter into the kingdom of God. He's not overwhelmed by personalities. He doesn't change the way. He doesn't change the method. He doesn't change the message. Next chapter you look, walking all the way to meet a Samaritan woman. Why? Because he heard. Does he change the message? No. He didn't change it for Nicodemus. He didn't change this poor sinner thinking, poor bichare, six times she got married, now she's living in sin, five times. Now let me change it and make it a little easy for her. No. He didn't make it easy for her too. This is the test. Will we obey what we have heard? Or will we change the message? Next thing you see him is in chapter 5, he is at the pool by Bethsheda. Hundreds of them are lying over there. So many crippled, lying, lying, lying for years. He just, they don't know him. He doesn't know them. So he asks, how many years? How many years? Hi, bye. How many years? Moshe, how many? Ah, Samuel, how many years? What's your name? How long? And then he asks one guy, how long, how many years? 38. Do you want to get well? That must be the what kind of a question is this? He says, yeah, he understands, well, immediately relates to the healing of the angel that stirs the water. He says, yeah, nobody does. First, somebody always gets in. So he says, okay, fine, pick up your mat and walk. That guy gets healed, he picks up and he goes. And Jesus walks away without healing anybody else. Because they haven't come to him. He has gone to them, sent by his father. And the father only told, heal one and go. Everybody who came to him, he healed. But he, when he was sent, he went, did exactly what was told and walked away without even revealing anything. Now, who can do a ministry like that? This is what the Bible is talking about. Can we hear? So you shall name him Methuselah. Now what is happening? He's just not holding a baby. You have to internalize what God has said. 
he is now living with judgment. I ask these questions to people. You are in your home now. All of you are listening, you are in your home. But are you at home? Are you at home in your home? You have heard all these messages about judgment, but now are you living with it? That's what living with Methuselah is for Enoch. He's living with judgment. It's not a theology. It's not an end time prophecy. It's not a doctrine. It's something that is living with you. You wake up with the first thing in the morning, you look, go and see, is Methuselah breathing? Yes. I don't know. I had my babies when they were small, when they sleep next to me. You know, all the parents, what they do, they always panic about the baby because the babies, when they go to sleep, you, they hardly breathe. You can't even see that. So, you panic, no? You say, is this one breathing or not? You put your ear over there, you feel his tummy. Okay, because they can go so still and then finally when you are not able to see anything, you just move them and they will, and they will turn and you are satisfied though you disturb them. I am absolutely sure after he heard the name, he kept Methuselah with him and gave his wife a break. Honey, I will take care of him. I'll take care of him, honey. No, no, my Lord, you are going to take care of him. Yeah, I will take this one. Rest you take care. This one I'll take care of him. That is what living in the light of judgment every day. Every day. This kid goes, I am done. I mean, judgment is here. That's how you walk 300 years with God. That's what the messages of judgment should do to us. Because you have no clue when he's going to die. That boy lived another 369 years after his father was taken away. But he has no clue. He's been only told one thing. When he dies, judgment will come. That changes his entire walk. So 15 days of messages challenging you to a closer walk with God. Is it doctrine? Or you have started to live with it? In the same way, overcoming is not a doctrine. It is a life. It's a life. It will change the way we look at the kingdom of God and the way we live. In Joshua chapter 10, verses 16 onwards, the battle, this is going to be one of the biggest battles Joshua is going to buy. These five kings. These five kings had fled and hidden themselves in a cave at a Makeda. Continue from there. And it was told Joshua saying, the kings have hidden in the cave at Makeda. So Joshua said, roll large stones again the mouth of the cave and set men by it to guard them. Do not stay there yourself, but pursue your enemies. Attack their rear guard. Do not allow them to enter their cities, for the Lord your God has delivered them into your hand. Meaning, in this overcoming life, as you are battling, you have to know to make your decisions. The soldiers are all over there, cities, this thing, and the kings have hidden. Okay, now I am, oh, the kings are over here. Now I am going to finish you. In the meantime, there is another bigger battle, and your attention is needed in another area. You have to understand strategy, how you fight. Because you are hearing sanctification messages in the morning. 
Oh, yesterday I heard about Reuben. I've fallen so many times. Now I am going to focus on that. God says, focus on the fight that battle, but there are other battles to be fought too. Maybe what you need to do is that that king, no, that king called lust, lock him up, put a stone against the wall and you fight these battles and you can come back to this. Come back to this. Otherwise, what will happen? You will lose track. You will lose track. A lot of people have lost track because if you ask them, what are you fighting? I'm fighting the king of lust. How long have you fighting power the past 10 years? You forgot strategy, how to fight these battles. This is an overcoming life. And it happened while Joshua and the children of Israel made an end of slaying them. It was a very great slaughter till they had finished. Those who escaped entered the fortified cities. And all the people returned to the camp to Joshua at Makkedah in peace. No one moved his tongue against any of the children of Israel. Then Joshua came back. Open the mouth of the cave and bring out those five kings to me from the cave. And they did so. And brought out those five kings from to him from the cave, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, the king of Eglon. And so it was when they had brought out those kings to Joshua, Joshua called for all the men of Israel and said to the captains of the men of war who went with him, come near. You lead us, you come here. Come here, all of you come here. The kings are all lying on the ground chained. He said, all of you come here. Put your feet on their neck. Feel what victory feels like. Feel. What it is like. Feel what it is like. It's an overcoming. That's what Jesus did. He was going around preaching, healing, casting. He said, come all of you, come here. Two by two, come here. Here. Go do it. Feel what victory over the devil is like. Go feel and come. And they came back tickled. He said, wait, 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 wait. Don't get too excited over it. What is important is that your names are written in the book of life. Feel. You know what? Victory propels victory. You have to, then it is an overcoming life. You enjoy it. You start enjoying the victorious life. And God starts enjoying the victorious, your victorious life because he says, you said, even my little children can beat you devil. I don't need, I could have finished you a long time ago, but I wanted you to suffer defeat at the hands of these little ones. I want to see that one. So this victorious life is a life. It has to be daily lived. So what is our, what is our hope? Judgment? Or reigning? Both are good. Both are good. Okay, both are good. Both should propel us. Judgment is good. Reigning is also good. First John chapter 3 verses 2 to 3. Beloved, now we are children of God. It has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. You see this, this is what I'm talking about. Our hope will change the way we walk. What is that hope? A lot of people just want to make it to heaven when they die. That's why their lives don't change. That's all they want. I want to have a blast when I'm on earth and I want a blast when I reach there. So, I have made my decision very clearly. When I die, I want to go to heaven. But God says, no. It doesn't work like that. I don't know. I've heard about preachers talk about shadow areas. Shadow areas. In the new earth, 
where those who never overcome are sent. It is where New Jerusalem comes and the Father is with them where it says there is no tear, no sorrow, no grief because these are overcomers and who suffered much in the life. But there are others who say there will be areas where children make it but there is a lot of shame and a lot of sadness because they lost it all for eternity what they could have become. Now I do not know. It's a presumption, but looking at human life, it could be possible, right? Now, people reach a certain age and then they realize, I wish I had studied in those those days. What a lot of time I wasted watching movies, going around with all those fellows. At that time, I thought that was life. And now look at all the fellows we laughed at. They are doing well and I'm stuck over here. You know? This regret, you know, that's why scripture says godly repentance leads to sorrow and to salvation and leaves no regret. So right now, right now, right now. So Joseph's life is a life of an overcomer. And his dream is to overcome. Enoch's life is the life of judgment. He too prevailed. Two different lives. Okay? So the question is, will we obey? The obedience that comes from faith. And the obedience that comes from love. If you look at Romans chapter 8 and verse 35. Interesting, right? In, when we change the whole topic and re, we read it separately. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? Okay. You go through tribulation because of the love of Christ. The love of Christ enables us to go through all these things. So love, that love will be tested. Okay, love will be tested. His faith is being tested. That will be later. But the first test Joseph has to go through is that you are zealous for your father's name. But do you also love him? To obey him? In verse 37, look at what verse says. 8.37 In all these things we are more than congruous through him who love. It is the love of God. That makes us overcomers. The love of God. Okay. And these are things which you have to ask practically, really, really practically and ask. And this is the first test Adam and Eve failed. They failed the test of obedience. Test of obedience. If you go to Genesis chapter 3, verse 9. First question God asks Adam is, where are you? In verse 11, second question he asks is, who told you? Who told you? These are fundamental questions. Where are you? Are you in a place of victory? Or are you a place of defeat? Are you hiding from me? Or are you standing before me? Because you are supposed to be standing before me. Are you hiding? Or are you? Are you glad or are you ashamed? But these are the answers Adam gives. I was afraid. I was ashamed. Who told you? If you had obeyed what I told you, neither would you be ashamed or would you be fearful. When people obey me, they are not ashamed. Because the Bible is very clear. Anyone who calls upon the name of Jesus shall not be put to shame. Daniel was not ashamed to stand in the court of Babylon. Neither was Joseph. And verse 13. What is this you have done? What is this you have done? 
God's order never changes. Never changes. How he will handle a person. Turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 19. Verse 11 onwards. 1 Kings chapter 19. He said, who is this Elijah? After eating two meals provided by the angels, walked 40 days, reached Mount Horeb. Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. A great and strong wind tore into the mountains, broke the rock into pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After that wind, an earthquake. The Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire, a still small voice. So it was when Elijah heard it, that he, he wrapped his, his, his familiar with that voice, which has led him all these years. Okay, that's why when this voice came, he went out. Wrapped his face in the mantle, went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, what's the question? What are you doing here? First question, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? If you had obeyed what I told you, you wouldn't be standing here. You'd be somewhere else. What are you doing here? See, this is the test of obedience. After father calls Joseph, yes, okay, you will go. And after that, if Joseph goes into another tent and sleeps, so the father will say, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Go further down. And he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord. Okay, leave that alone. All his zealousness he talks about is good and bad. The Lord said to him, go back. Go return on your way. What does he tell him? Go back. You have to go back the way you came. Retrace your steps where you failed me. Go back the way you disobeyed me. You want to be restored? You have to go back. Go back. Look into your own lives. God had told me. I didn't listen. Go back there. Go back there. Go back there. Go back there. Go back that way. This is a way to restoration. Because... First test is the most important test. Adam and Eve failed in the first test. What was it? The test of obedience. Go back the way you came. And you will find, you will have to anoint three different people. For what? To do the work which I had told you in the beginning to do. So you are going back the same way. And you are going to do the same work. But you will not do it. Three others will do it. You just anoint them. The anointing that is upon you, you will put it upon them and they will do your work. Why? Because you did not obey me the first time. So they will do it. This is the issue. Genesis chapter 12 and verse 4. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him. Okay, now finally, old man learns his lesson. He hears, he obeys. And verse 7, then the Lord appeared to Abraham. He obeyed, God appeared. A lot of people say, this is a constant, this thing with believers. Why doesn't God speak to me? He does. Go back and check when was the last time you obeyed what he told you. Joseph, will you go? Isaiah 6, Isaiah 6 verses 5 onwards. Woe to me for I am undone. He sees a vision of God because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the Lord, King, the Lord of hosts. Oh, your problem is with sin? 
not an issue. I like people who, who cry about their sins. Seraphim took a live coal which he had taken with tongs from the altar. Touched my mouth with it. Behold, this has touched you. Your iniquity is taken away. Your sin is purged. Now that you are sanctified, I heard a voice saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Now that you are sanctified life, will you go? Your test will begin whether you can overcome. And I said, here I am. Sanctification is not for sanctification itself. There is a purpose behind it. Not holiness for holiness sake. Now that you are sanctified, you got all the lessons of sanctifies, will you go? When the lockdown is over, will your ears be open? Will you be sent? Can you go? You will start your overcoming life. It will be difficult. God is not saying it is easy. It will be difficult. But I am there with you. If you go, you, I will be there with you all the way. Sold as a slave, God is with him. Thrown into prison, God is with him. Put on the throne in Egypt, God is with him. I'm with you. Will you go? Is the question. We'll take five more minutes. Genesis chapter 37. Verse 14 onwards. He said, I will go. Then he said to him, please go and see if it is well with your brothers and well with the flocks and bring back word to me. So he sent him out of the valley of Hebron. He went to Sishem. Now a certain man found him and there he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him saying, what are you seeking? He said, I'm seeking my brothers. Please tell me where they are feeding their flocks. The man said, they have departed from here for I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found him in Dothan. Let's go to verse 14. The question is, the father sent you to Sishen. How far will you go? How far will you go? It's a question. How far will you go? You went till Dothan, they are not there. When you are sent, how far will you go? I will send you to Sishem, is the instruction. But if you read at verse 14, Please go and see if it is well with your brothers. So what is the intention? Are your brothers okay or not? There is an instruction. Listen carefully now. There is an instruction of faith and there is an intention of faith. It is the intention that pleases God, not the instructions. Remember the ten lepers? Remember the ten lepers? Let's go there. Luke chapter 17, verse 15. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God. Did we get? John chapter 11, verse 4. 11, verse 4. John 11 verse 4. Jesus heard that and he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Okay. What is the intention behind every miracle? That you get healed. No. What is the instruction when God tells you to do something? That you receive your miracle. What is the intention behind the instruction? That God is glorified. As soon as the Samaritan realized he was healed, he glorified God. So he had to come back and glorify the Son too. 
That was the intention. That the Son of God may be glorified through. First he glorified God and he ran to Jesus because now you have fulfilled the intention of faith. Others got the instruction of faith. They all went. They all got it. But they never fulfilled the intention of faith. They never glorified God. Okay. This is our issue. And all of you, because the message was a little slow and all, who tuned off, you missed the real core of the message. You may be just following the instruction. You didn't follow the intention of listening. And Jesus said, it is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. You know, when, when we bear much fruit for God, we go beyond the instruction and go to the intention of God. Intention of God. So behind every instruction in the Bible, go and try to search and find the heart of God. What is his intention? What is his intention? That's the difference between law and truth. Truth is the intention. Law is the instruction. And that's why I say nobody can please God by keeping the law. Because you just kept the instruction. And most of us are still often, I mean most I have no right to say that. Like no, so many people are still living under the instructions. Instruction. Not the intention. And the intention behind everything that we do is that we glorify God and it pleases Him. It pleases Him. And then we are His disciples. So what is the entire purpose of salvation? Redemption, sanctification, and the third part? Glorification. Yes. Sanctification alone is not enough. You need to glorify God. How do we glorify God? Every time I and you overcome, God is glorified. Whole heaven sees that. You think nobody noticed, but probably nobody, the eunuch saw it, three of his friends saw it, maybe later the others saw it, but when Daniel took a stand over there, the whole heaven saw it and God was glorified. God was, he had overcome his appetite. And God was overcome. That's the whole point we are getting at. And many, many Christians never experience God's will. They experience the good will of God, but not the perfect will of God. In the perfect, pleasing will of God, you glorify God. Glorify God. If you only follow instructions, you will go till... Sishem, brothers are in here. Dad said, go check on my brothers. Brothers are in there. He can go back and say, Dad, I went till Sishem. It was very tiring, Dad. 160, 120 miles back and forth. My back was hurting. Oh, it was alone. All, all kind of stories you can, all of that, everything is true. And I didn't see them. Because you followed the instructions. But what was the intention? I, Sent you with an intention. How are your brothers doing? You went and you came back. You still do not know how your brothers are doing. Brothers are doing. That is. And Jesus came to see how his brothers were doing. And when he found his brothers were not doing it, he had a solution for it. How are your brothers doing? He could have told many things and everything would have been true. But... You also did not realize in God's plan for you, Joseph, the plan was not at this Sishem. The plan is at Dotham. Only those who go to Dotham, the extra mile, those who go to Dotham, actually get to know what is God's will for their life. 
The others, they follow instructions, but they do not go that extra. So Jesus will talk about that extra mile. Those who go the second mile. And Joseph went the second mile. And Adotham was waiting for him. God's perfect will for him. It was a pit. But that was God's will for him. If he hadn't got to Dotham, he would have waited for many, many more years. And we don't know how long he would have to wait. And if he didn't ever go to that place where God wanted him, God would have okay overlooked Joseph and started with Benjamin. God's plan will always work. It's always for could have probably picked Benjamin. No. A lot of people, the call of God passes over them and goes to somebody else. You know why? Because they will say, God never. But he only followed instructions. You don't follow, follow the intention. Right? Intention. No. Like today. Some could have said, no internet. If you don't internet, we cannot broadcast. That is the instruction. We could have said, but the intention is something else. Intention is we need to reach the people. So the way you guys went around this phone and that phone and standing on the roof and going outside, trying to get the signals from different things onto the computer so that finally we could go on YouTube and Facebook and then once you fulfill the intention of this meeting, the signal also, the Internet also came. So we didn't realize even that was a test for us. And God says, you fulfilled today's intention. If you had told me like it's not possible, I will say, okay, do with the radio. It's fine. Because that's all I know. But you knew the intention. But God wants. Different levels of people are there. For whom the voice alone is enough. We are used to it. And there are new people who like to see and hear. Okay. And God loves all categories of people. And whenever you hear something, you know, God speaks through different people. Okay? Speaks through different people. Don't go beyond the instruction. Go to the intention. Samuel! Did he call me? No. Go back and sleep. Samuel! Did he call me? Go back and sleep. Samuel! Then he realizes, you know what? Samuel, let me tell you. Somebody else is calling you. And he has an intention to speak to you. So you, this is what you, how you need to reply. Speak, Lord, your servant awaits. Behind that call, there is an intention. Answer that intention. He will speak to you. And whatever he says, whatever he says, doesn't matter. Tell it to me. It's an old man who sad. I feel always sad for people like Ellie and Mikal and all. No, sad. He knew. He had heard from God once. He knew. He got to stop speaking to him. No. But you know, God used him to mentor Samuel. God used him to show the ways of God to Samuel. So you can you cannot say he failed completely. God used this man. To show the ways of God to Samuel and then one day Samuel will arise and all the days of Samuel, Israel will have peace. Oh, no. So, every time you read the Bible, every time you hear the message, every time God speaks to you, you have to go beyond the instructions. You have to look at the intent. Like tomorrow, a lot of people will say, Pastor, first Sunday, communion, how are we going to? Okay. What is the intention behind it? What is the intention behind communion? 
judging your hearts. My question to people who are worried about communion, did you listen to all these 15 days messages? Did you judge your heart in the light of whatever you have heard so far? If you have, it is okay if you don't take communion because the intention has already been fulfilled. We will wait until everything is open. What is the intention behind communion? That you judge yourself and you partake of as symbols of God's body and his blood and you shall be revived. You are already revived if you have been listening and appropriately reacting to the messages. So the intention of the communion is already met. Even if you are not able to keep the instructions of the communion. And then we meet. Next time we meet, we'll have communion. So behind everything, don't go by the letter. Don't go by the letter. Whatever God speaks to you, you always have to ask, Lord, the intention behind everything that you ask me to do, it's not for the benefit of people. It is the glory of God. People will be benefited. Yes. By a ministry, people will be benefited. That's not the whole purpose. That's what we read in yesterday in the third John, right? We went out taking nothing from the Gentiles for the sake of your... If you take from Gentiles, our ministry will prosper. We can feed the poor, build houses, everything. Because Gentiles give. Nicely they will give for good causes. But the problem is people will be benefited. But you won't be glorified. So what is the intention behind the work that we do that benefits people? It is not that people should be benefited. God should be glorified too. If God is not glorified, like that's what Paul is actually talking about by our ministry of the word, what we preach. If God is not glorified, people are all excited. He says, you know what, I'm not a servant of God. I'm a servant of man. These are fundamental questions we need to ask. Each time you and I do something, and it's an act of faith, is God glorified or not? Am I glorifying God? And God says, if you are bringing me fruit, which is my glory, then I will start pruning you further and further and further, so that you will bring even more glory. That's what happens to Joseph. He will go more pruning. Oh, you're bringing me glory the way you are an overseered slave in Potiphar's house. That's not enough. I need to show this to the devil. I need to get more glory out of you. Go to the prison. Show him how servants, my children, function in prison. And he brought even more glory to God there. God said, that's not enough. I need to take you and put you on the throne. Let us see. Let everybody say, Hebrew shepherd boy ruled over Egypt and brought glory to God. What were you? A shepherd boy. What are you doing? God is using you to feed the hunger of the world. Just a shepherd boy. That's how. That's why God says he picks the foolish things, the weak things, the ignoble things, so that, you know, when they trust God and do God, gets more glory. More glory. God gets great, incredible glory out of them. Because people will look at them and say, you know, this is God. This is God. This is God. Glorified God. So tonight, that's the question we leave with. Can God call you? Will you go? How far will you go? Will you obey or lead the instructions? Or beyond, behind that, will you find the intention?
what is the intention behind in malayalam it's a beautiful easy those who understand malayalam will understand it malayalam we used to have this saying old days paranju cheyuga and arinju cheyuga that's what jesus actually tells them at the end i no longer call you servants i call you friends all these days i told you and you did it but now you know me so you know what i expect from you you know me you know my father you know what my father wants from you so now you're no longer my servants you are my friends and that is what hebrews 3 will say of all in god's house moses was faithful as a servant jesus was faithful as a so he was worthy of more honor because he brought more glory you know a servants get mad you know servants get mad do you know that and that's why moses got mad should we bring did jesus ever get mad with his father's instructions because he was a son he's a son he was not a servant he was a son he was a son and he loved his father so no instruction of his father was too burdensome because he loved his father love this father sometimes we act like moses god says good in all my house moses was faithful but remember has a servant in all my house jesus was a son and you are his house shall we pray father we just love you lord love you love you love you love you lord it's our joy father to serve you father 15 days father thank you When this thing started father we had no clue we hadn't even planned this out nothing was planned it was just when this started we believed you told us feed my sheep feed my sheep that's what you told peter if you love me feed my sheep we love you lord that's why we keep on feeding your sheep we believe this is what your sheep needs all of us need at a time a message on sanctification and a message on overcoming and i pray once this is over a church will arise a church that is triumphant a church that loves its master a church that loves god a church that loves to serve god a church will go beyond sishem to dothan a church that does not make excuses a church that will go beyond instructions and will understand the heart and the intention of god in every little thing that we hear as individuals as families and as a church that's my prayer father everywhere jesus will arise as a church that knows what god intends and we will be content because we know we have pleased our father we have brought glory to our father in heaven earth may not notice us the world may ignore us it's irrelevant the world did not even know you when you stepped out at the age of 30 but heavens opened and said this is my son in whom i am well pleased and nobody had any clue that's all that matters oh lord what you say what you say lord that's all that matters and i pray this evening that your children will surrender we will surrender lord to the will of our father 
and bring you great joy and great glory into our lives. We will sanctify ourselves and we will also overcome. Both will go hand in hand that we look to our destiny to reign with Christ Jesus. If it was only promised to Pergamum or Philadelphia, we would have been discouraged. But to Laodicea, you promised that. The worst church of the Lord. That is the heart of a father. That is not the heart of a king. That's the heart of a father. Nebuchadnezzar wanted the best to stand before him. But the father is saying, even the worst among you can overcome and sit with me. Only a father can speak like that, Lord. And Father, we want to please you. We want to please you, Lord. I pray, Father, people will take clear aim. Their walk will change like Enoch's walk. And their work will change like Jesus' work. Like Joseph's work. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Help us to meditate on the things that we have heard. And tomorrow, the first day of the week, we come back to you. And we will sit in your presence. Sit like Mary. For even to sit at your feet like Mary is bringing you glory. And not to be restless like Martha. That doesn't bring you any glory, Father. So, Father, I pray we'll prepare tonight how to sit with you tomorrow, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. We praise you, we worship you, we glorify you. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. Amen and amen.